Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus. We are really, really excited to have you here together as we're actually continuing together today in the sixth week of a series that we started a while ago now that we've been calling Resolve. And so like Sarah Beth just mentioned a minute ago, if you are a guest with us here today, so if this is your first time at Grace Church, the Medina East Campus, we do just want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks for being our guest. We count it an absolute honor that you would spend some time with us here today. But if you are just joining with us, uh, like, like I said, you are kind of catching us a little bit towards the end of a conversation. And so in fact, like I said, this is the sixth week of this series, and next week is actually going to be the final week uh, in our series called Resolve. But just to catch you up to speed, if you did miss the past weeks, basically what we've been talking about uh, in this series is we're talking about the very pertinent topic of conflict resolution. Right? So we're talking about resolving conflict. And of course, I say that it is a pertinent conversation because, hey man, one thing that all of us are going to find in the relationships that we face is that we're going to come up against conflict, right? Conflict is inevitable in human relating. In all the relationships, no matter what age or stage of life you're in, we're going to find ourselves having to address conflict. And so the question that we're really dealing with in this series is, how do we respond to conflict when it does show up in our relationships? How do we resolve conflict in a healthy way? How do we kind of do that in a way that honors God? So that's kind of what we've been talking about. And again, every week we've been talking about this, we've been saying that, man, this is actually a very, very, very important conversation. In fact, we said that this conversation might be even more important than you might initially recognize. Because here's what we said. We said unresolved conflict in our lives and or the inability to resolve conflict in a healthy way is actually hurting us, okay? So that's what we've been saying. We've been saying, man, unresolved conflict in your life is hurting you. And it's actually hurting you in ways you might not even know. Uh, it's hurting you personally. It's hurting you uh, relationally. It's hurting you spiritually. And so because of that, we said there's a lot at stake in this conversation about pursuing healthy conflict resolution. And so because of that, what we've been doing together in this series is we actually are journeying together through eight steps, very practically, eight steps to healthy conflict resolution. How do we pursue conflict resolution in a healthy way? We're looking at these eight steps together. Now, again, these eight steps, you might remember if you've been with us, we said these actually come right from the Bible. And more specifically, they actually come right from Jesus. And so the passage that we're looking at together is actually one kind of sermon, I guess you could say. It's kind of like a discourse that Jesus gave that was all about conflict resolution. And so it's kind of like Jesus' take on conflict resolution. So that's what we're kind of studying together. And the passage that we find that in is in Matthew chapter 18. So I actually want to encourage you, uh, kind of as we continue our conversation today, as we kind of pick up where we left off a little bit last week, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. Why don't you go with me to Matthew 18? Okay, so let's get back there again. Let's return to Matthew chapter 18 uh, as we continue this conversation on conflict resolution. And of course, let me just say, once again, if you don't have a Bible or if you did not bring a Bible with you, that is not a problem. You can actually just take one of our Bibles. You can turn to page 688 in those Bibles that we provided. That's where you're going to find Matthew chapter 18. And you can get there. And then, of course, I'll also just say, if you don't own a Bible, like if you don't physically own a copy of the Bible, man, we would love for you to have one. We think uh, having your own copy of God's Word is an awesome thing, and we'd love to give that to you. So you could, you could have that. So Matthew 18, go ahead and get there. Now, like we said, this is the sixth week. So we're looking at these eight steps to conflict resolution. So far, we've actually covered five steps. We've already looked at the first five steps. So let's just review those before we jump in for today. So here's what we found. We said step one. According to Jesus, the, the first step to healthy conflict resolution begins first by humbling yourself. 
humbling yourself. So we actually spent a whole week, you might remember, talking about this first step to humble ourselves. And basically we said that, that uh, healthy conflict resolution, the foundation of healthy conflict resolution is humility. You're not gonna get very far in resolving conflict where humility isn't present. So we took a whole week talking about that, explaining what does that mean to humble yourself. And then we looked at step two, and step two, we took another week. We talked about this idea of removing logs. And I know that might sound really weird if you weren't here, but basically what we said is, we said that it's not enough just to recognize that we are playing a part in the conflict that we're in, but we said we must be willing to do everything that we can in our power to own our part and to make it right. And so we talked about that, spent a whole week kind of unpacking this idea of step two. Then we went to step three, and we saw that Jesus showed us that step three is that we need to redefine the win. We need to redefine the win. And what we meant by that was we said, hey, before you go and try to resolve a conflict that you have with another person, you need to make sure your heart is in the right place, right? And so you need to redefine the win. The win is not to win an argument. The win is not to win my way. The win is not to win my rights. The win, according to Jesus, is that we fight to win the relationship, right? We fight to win the friendship. We fight to win our brother, our sister. We fight to win our spouse. That's what we fight to win. And then we said this. We said step four, Jesus would kind of allude to, we need to overlook when possible. So we talked about that. We said we need to overlook when possible. Overlook what? We need to overlook an offense. We need to overlook a frustration. We need to overlook a hurt. Whenever it is possible, the Bible actually says it is to your glory if you can overlook an offense. So we talked about that. And then, so we, we basically said this. We said that, man, if you go through these first four steps and we walk through those, we said if conflict remains unresolved, which quite honestly, a whole bunch of conflict that we face gets resolved in these first four steps. We said, but man, if conflict remains unresolved, you go through these first four steps. We said, well, that's gonna lead you to step five. And step five, we talked about all last week. We said, you're gonna have to go to them. You're gonna have to go to that person and you're gonna need to confront the conflict. And so we actually looked at this verse last week. If you were here, this was the verse that we spent our time looking at. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, then you have won them over. So we talked about that last week. We, we actually just talked very practically, what does this conversation look like? When do you have this conversation? How do you know it's time to have this conversation? We just talked very practically about what that looks like. And so you can go back to our website. Uh, you can go to our podcast, listen to, watch those. It'll probably be to your advantage. But here's what Jesus says. He says, if you have this conversation, and here's where we, we ended last week. Jesus says, if you have this conversation and that person listens to you, he says, then you've won them over. You have won that person over. And here's what we said last week. We said that, man, if you have this conversation with this person and they listen to you, the conflict is resolved here. And quite honestly, and I don't, I don't really have um, anything to, to validate this. This is just kind of an estimation on my part. But I honestly believe that most conflict that we face, I, just, I would just rough estimate, I would say 95% of the conflict that we face, I believe, is resolved in the first five steps that Jesus gives us. If we can follow the first five steps of humbling ourselves and removing the log and defining the win and overlooking an offense and then having a face-to-face -face conversation, somewhere in there, 95% of the conflict that we face is going to be resolved by following those steps, okay? Now, does that mean that all conflict is gonna be resolved in those steps? Well, no, there's another 5%. There, there are some rare occasions when it goes beyond that, and it happens sometimes. And for that, that's where we're gonna get into these next steps. And so let me show you what Jesus says. Here's what he says in verse 16. We're gonna, this is where we left off last time, so we're picking it up here. In verse 16, 
But Jesus says, but if they will not listen, if they will not listen, even after having that one-on-one conversation, even after going through those first five steps, he says, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So I want you to notice here real quick what Jesus says. He says, if they will not listen, if they will not listen. So after you have that conversation, if they're not listening. Now, let me just say something on that real quick. The word listen that's used here uh, is actually a word that means much more than just passively listening. Okay, so this isn't the idea of like, yeah, I heard what you had to say to me. I let you say your thing. That's not what this is, okay? This is actually much more like an active listening. In fact, I like the way one commentator puts it. He says that the word that's used here means listening with the ears of your heart. This is the idea of I'm listening. I'm taking to heart what you said, right? I think what you're saying is valid. I think what you're saying, you're pointing out something I think is, is important, and, and I think you're right, right? That's the idea of listening. And here Jesus says, if they don't listen, so if you, if you bring this thing to the person and they're like, I don't care what you have to say, I'm not hearing it. I'm just, I'm not hearing what you gotta say. And then Jesus says, well, then there's another step. There's another step that's gonna take place here. Now, before we jump to step six, which is what we're about to see here, let me just give one practical consideration before we jump there. And th- this practical consideration is actually based off of my own experiences and the experience of others. But what I have found is if you have a one-on-one conversation with someone and it doesn't go well, and, they don't, and they're not listening, and, and it's just not, it's not getting resolved, I would encourage you, before you go on to step six, give it a little bit of time. Just give it a little bit of time. You're like, how much time? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how much time, but let me just tell you what I've seen from my own experience, and that's this. I have oftentimes found that a person's first response is not always their final response. Right? My guess is you've probably found this to be true, too. Sometimes a person's first response isn't their final response. And so, for example, if you, if you came to me, let's say we were friends, and, and, uh, and we you know, we loved each other and we were dedicated to what was best for us, for, for each other. And, and in our friendship, uh, you loved me enough that you pointed out a fault. You pointed out an offense, a way that maybe I sinned against you. Well, I'm just gonna tell you that my natural default reaction when someone points out a fault is that I don't get real excited about it, right? So, so a lot of times what happens, and maybe this is just me, but I'm guessing it's not, I'll get defensive sometimes, or I'll want to rationalize or justify myself, and I might not respond well at first. But you see, a lot of times what happens is if I go away, I can think about it and I pray about it. You know what happens is sometimes my, my heart is softened. And you see, sometimes a person's first response is not their final response. They might come back to you a day or two later and say, you know what, I've been thinking about what you said, and I've been praying about what you said, and, and you know what, you're right. And I, I may have reacted wrong in the moment, but you know, I've been giving it some thought and I really think you're right. And can we talk this through? And I can see that what I did really hurt you or really offended you. And so let's, let's talk that through, right? So I would just say, before you jump into this next step, give it, a little bit, give it a little bit of time because our first response is not always our final response. But you're like, okay, but what if their final response is they're not gonna listen? They're just like not hearing it, don't care what you have to say, don't agree with you, I think you're wrong, what happens next? Well, Jesus says at this point, this is when you actually have to move into step six. And here's step six. Step six is that we need to widen the circle. And now it's time, Jesus would say, to widen the circle. And what do you mean by that? It's time to involve some other people. It's time to get some other voices connected. Now, like I said, um, rarely does it get here 
But sometimes it gets here. And I know, I know even for, maybe for some of you in this room, this is relevant to what you're facing today. And for a lot of you, it's not. But I would encourage you to still write this down because you probably will need this at some point, right? And so here's what he says. He says, if it gets here, you need to widen the circle. Now notice what Jesus says. He says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So notice what Jesus says here. First, he says, take one or two others along. And I think that's important, by the way. You notice what Jesus says? He doesn't say, uh, take five or six. He doesn't say, take a dozen. He doesn't say, take your family. He doesn't say, take an entourage. He says, take one or two. Take one or two. It keeps it real small. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you've been with us in this series, there is a principle that we see all throughout Jesus' plan for conflict resolution. And that principle is this. Keep it as small as possible, as long as possible. Now, have you noticed this? So, so from the very beginning, Jesus says, if there's a conflict that you're facing, start with yourself first. Look at your own heart, own your own part of what's going on. He says, and if, if it doesn't get resolved there, he says, then you need to go take it just to that, just you and that person, just the two of you, as small as possible, as long as possible. If the two of you can't work it out between the two of you, he says, okay, you need to widen the circle, but not by much. One or two, small as possible, as long as possible. And then I want you to notice what Jesus says next. I actually think this is really clarifying. He says, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Some of you are like, well, what, what does that mean? What what is he talking about there? Well, I want you to notice here, you probably have noticed that what Jesus says here is actually a quote. You notice that? He's actually quoting something. And so the question is, what is it that Jesus is quoting here? And uh, my guess is if you have like a study Bible in front of you, there's maybe a footnote, and you'll probably see that what Jesus is quoting is actually from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. And, And why is that significant? Well, here's why that's important. Because the context of Deuteronomy 19 is one in which it is all about trying to discern the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of an accusation. So, so in other words, what's, what's, what's he quoting? He's basically quoting a passage that's all about getting to the bottom of something. And the reason I think that's important is because it helps us understand the heart of this meeting. Right? What is the heart of this meeting? When you take a couple other people with you, this isn't about attacking another person. This isn't about ganging up on them. Right, this isn't about like conducting some kind of witch trial or something like that, right? What is this? Now, this is, this is uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of this. We're trying to resolve this conflict. You see, here's the idea. The idea, you kind of see it here, right? The idea is, hey, you know, I went through these first five steps and, and I sat down with that person and we could not seem to resolve it between the two of us. And it seemed like... Uh, I said some stuff and they thought that I was wrong and I thought that they were wrong and they thought that I was, they were right and I thought I was right and we just, we couldn't, we couldn't resolve the thing, man. We just couldn't do it. And so the idea here is, okay, well now it's time for us to actually widen the circle and leverage the incredible gift that God has given us and others. Let's take one or two along with us and the idea is not that we're attacking a person, not that we're going out. The, the point is that, man, we need someone to help us figure this out. We want to get to the bottom of this. We need someone to help mediate this, right? And I think all of us understand that there's just practical wisdom in this. There's so much practical wisdom because all of us understand this. Conflict has a way sometimes of blinding us. 
the emotions of conflict, the feelings that are involved with it, sometimes it's hard for us to see things clearly. And so sometimes, sometimes it's important to involve another person who can help us have a different vantage point. You see, a lot of times what happens when you get another party involved, what you usually find out is it's not that one person was right and the other person was wrong. A lot of time it's uh, you both were partly right and you both are partly wrong and, and you're not able to hear each other clearly, so let me help you. You know, you're right about this, but I don't think you're hearing this person when they're saying this. And you see, that, that can be a really, really helpful process. So like I said, if it gets here, which it rarely does get here, some of you might be asking the question, okay, well, if it does get here, how do I know who to take with me? Right? If I'm supposed to take one or two people with me, like, who am I taking? Like, am I just supposed to recruit some random people, like get applications out for confrontation? Like, who am I taking with me? So let me give you some practical considerations. You might want to jot these down. Some practical considerations of who should I take along. Okay, if, if I find myself in step six, can't resolve the thing with the person one-on-one, time to widen the circle, who am I taking with me? All right, well, here, here's a few practical considerations. First and foremost, I think practically, this is just practically wise, take someone who cares for you both. Take someone who loves you both, is committed to the good in both of your lives, right? Don't take some character who is just biased towards your opinion, right? Don't take your mom. Your mom is always gonna side with you. That's her job. She's your mom, right? Don't take your mom with you. Don't take your BFF. Take, take with you someone who you know is unbiased, who loves you both, who cares about the good in both of you, who's not just gonna side with you and accuse the other person with you, right? Be careful about that. I'd say here's another practical consideration. If possible, take someone who was witness to the offense. Now, I know this isn't always possible, but I do believe that when it is possible, if there is a key event or conversation that is the cause of the conflict that you're facing, if there's someone who is a witness to that, if there was someone who was there who saw that or witnessed that conversation and they love both of you, I think it'd be awesome to get that person involved. Why? Well, because they're gonna have a different vantage point, right? They have a third party view of what happened and maybe they can help you see clearly what's actually going on. That's a practical consideration. Here'd be another one. I would say, man, I would encourage you, take someone who displays spiritual maturity and wisdom. Take someone who displays a level of spiritual maturity. Maybe somebody, I would, I would definitely recommend someone who understands the heart of Jesus's plan for conflict resolution here in, in Matthew 18. It's helpful. If someone understands that, they know, they know what part they're playing in this. That's very, very helpful, right? Take someone like that. Take someone who has wisdom. Wisdom. And let me just say on that, by the way, that depending on the conflict that you're facing, that might determine um, the set of wisdom that you're looking for. So here's what I mean. Let's say that right now the conflict that you're facing that you cannot seem to resolve is based around a bad business deal. So there was a business deal that you were in and it went south or something and there's a conflict that has arisen because of that, right? And you guys can't seem to work it out between the two of you. Well, I think practically speaking, it makes a lot of sense that when you bring someone along with you, bring someone who has some expertise in the business area that you're in, if possible, because you see, they're able to understand the complexities and the nuances of the conflict that you're facing, and they're able to speak to that in a unique way, right? Or uh, let's say that you're having a marital conflict right now, and a big part of the marital conflict that you're facing is because there are uh, previous children from, or other children from previous marriages involved, right? Well, I think if you're trying to settle that thing, it's probably actually helpful to get someone who has some experience with that. 
Because quite honestly, that is a very different family landscape. There's a lot of complexities to consider, and it might be good to have someone who has some practical wisdom in that. Depending on the type of conflict you're facing, you may want to consider bringing someone who has a counseling background or some experience in counseling or some experience in mediation, just depending on what kind of conflict it is you're facing. And here's the last thing, last thing I would ask you to consider uh, when thinking, who should I take along? When reaching out to ask a person to come along with you, I'd say be very, very, very careful not to give too many details, okay? Be very careful not to give too many details. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Be cautious, because the point of this meeting, right, like I said, it's not to gang up on somebody. The point of this meeting is get to the bottom of something. And so if that's the case, be very careful not to try to sway this person's opinion before the meeting happens, okay? So don't go to that person and be like, hey, uh, I need you to come with me. Such and such has done this to me. This is why they're wrong. This is why I'm right. This is why they're ugly and I'm attractive. Now let's go together and let's gang up on this person. And don't, don't do that. Don't have a meeting before the meeting to try to tell them, you know, that to, j- just be, hey, can you help us? We cannot seem to resolve conflict between the two of us. Would you be willing to come, keeping in, in, in line with Matthew 18, would you be willing to come with us to help us sort this out? Leave it there, leave it there. And then let God work through this whole process. Now, Again, as we said, I said 95% of the conflict that we face is usually resolved by step five. But what, what I've also found to be true in my experience is that when things get here, when things get here, oftentimes when you bring another party or two to get involved in that situation, conflict is resolved here. A lot of times, two people who cannot seem to see eye to eye with each other when they're in a one-on-one meeting, when you start to get a couple other people who love both parties, who are committed to helping them resolve that, a lot of times people can walk away from that meeting agreeing to live at peace with each other or at least having some next steps of how to move forward and live at peace with one another. And I'm not saying people walk away from this meeting best friends, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they walk away living at peace and there's unity and God is honored through this process, and that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And a lot of times, if it gets to step six, it stops here. Conflict is resolved here. Now, is it always resolved here? Well, the answer is sadly no. It's not always resolved here. And for that, Jesus actually gives us one, kind of one more next step in this whole confrontation process that we're gonna see And that's this. I want to show you. This is where where the next step is going to come in. Here's what Jesus says. If they still refuse to listen. So, man, I've talked to you one-on-one about this issue, and and I've seen this, and and, uh, and I'm pointing it out to you, but you're not listening. It's okay, okay, you know, maybe I'm wrong. So let's take a couple other people, and let's say that as a result of that meeting, all two, three of the people are like, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're wrong about this. This is, a, this is a sinful thing that's happening right now. And the person will not listen. They're still like, I don't care. I'm not listening. Jesus would actually say that there is a, ne- a next step, and that's this. He would say that you need to tell it to the church. You need to tell it to the church. You see, this leads us to step number seven. Step seven is this. Take it to the church. Take it to the church. Now, I know that even when I put this up on the screen, it might make some of us feel a little uneasy. And I think there's good reason for that. Uh, there's actually been some abuse on this whole thing. But I think for some of us, we're like, wow, that, I wasn't really expecting that. 
That seems a little strange. That seems, what does that even mean? It sounds, for some of us, we're like, that might even sound a little cultish. I take it to the church. Like, what is that even, what are you talking about? Does that mean that, like, that we just get up here and we just tell everybody? Like, hey, did you guys hear? Bill is in sin. Jack, Tim, and Susie are all sinning this week, so you should know that, right? Is that what that means? Take it to the church. That's really weird. Right, what does that what does that mean? Well, let me just talk about it. I'm going to explain this here in a second, but let me just say a couple things I think are important before we talk about that, and that's this. First off, I just want to remind everybody that this is step seven. This is step seven, okay? We rarely get here, rarely. And listen, we don't get here easily, and we don't get here quickly, all right? This is, this is like, this is among the last steps in this whole, con- in this whole process of conflict resolution and so this is like last resort. This is like the 1% of conflict that can't get resolved in these other ways, right? That's what we're talking about here. So, so if you're a guest with us here today and this is your first week, please understand that we have had hours of conversations before we've arrived at this point. So we don't get here quickly, all right? And the other thing I want to just remind us of, I think it's really important, this step specifically, specifically, is only for those who followed Jesus, all right, so, so here's what we've been saying about Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is Jesus' prescribed method of conflict resolution to those who follow Christ. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, and we've been saying this just about every week, if you're a person that doesn't follow Christ, like if you're investigating Jesus here this morning, we said that, man, there is actually practical wisdom for, I believe, any conflict that you face in the steps that we've looked at, whether you follow Jesus or not. I think there's just practical wisdom that you can apply from Jesus that's actually really helpful. But this, this step in particular, this is just for those of us who follow Jesus. And so if you're a person who doesn't follow Jesus, honestly, quite honestly, I think at this point, you could just listen in. You can just listen to what we weird Christians believe because this is a part of it right here is we believe that a big part of conflict resolution, step seven, is that we need to take it to the church. That's what Jesus says. If they still refuse to listen, you need to tell it to the church. So, so you're like, okay, all right, I get it, but what does that mean? What do you mean? How do you do that? How do you tell it to the church? Well, let me just say here, there's actually been two extreme uh, uh, kind of stances or responses to this verse. Okay, so one extreme is some churches have actually used this verse as a reasoning to publicly broadcast the sins of an unrepentant person in front of the entire congregation on a weekend service. So some churches have done this, right, where, where I would get up here and I'd be like, okay, uh, so everyone knows uh, Jill and Susan, and if those are your names, by the way, I'm not trying to point you out, right? But if I was like, they're, they're in sin, unresolved sin with each other, they will not repent, so you all need to know that, church, need to know it, and if you see them out in the cafe, uh, you know, avoid them and give them the stink eye and throw a scarlet letter on them, right? That's what that's, what that's all about, and, and there have been churches sometimes that have done that, and of course, I'm making a little bit of light of that, but um, sadly, some of you maybe have even come from churches like that, and, and, and some of the hurt and the pain that maybe has been caused by that, right? And that's one extreme. Now, the other extreme, the other side is, and this, this is far more common, quite honestly. The other extreme is that a lot of churches just ignore this. Let's just pretend Jesus never said that. Let's do everything else he said. Let's pick and choose some of the things that we like that he said. But then let's just go ahead and not look at that part. 
Let's just not talk about it, right? In fact, my guess is, I'm just guessing, my guess is for many of us in this room, maybe you've never heard a sermon on this topic ever, right? Because why? Let's just not talk about it. It's kind of weird. It's kind of awkward. Now, I have a problem with both of these sides, and I'm sure you could probably see that. So on this side, right, publicly broadcasting is in. This is what I am strongly convinced of this, and we at Grace Church would take this stance as well. I'm strongly convinced that publicly broadcasting the sin of another person in front of the entire congregation is completely unwarranted. And one of the big reasons is because it is, it is so far detached from the heartbeat of Matthew 18. Right? We've been looking at Matthew 18. What's the heart of Matthew 18? It's all about reconciliation. It's never about shaming or embarrassing. or It's, it's never about punishing a person. It's always about reconciliation. I want to win that person back. And so the whole time, Jesus is saying, keep it as small as possible, as long as possible for the sake of that person, for the sake of winning them back. That's the heart of this passage, right? So I think that's unwarranted. In fact, I would, I would just even add to that. This might be more information than you want to know. I think there's only one place in the Bible where public confession of sin is, is a directive that is given. And that would be in the situation of like 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says, if a leader within the church is in some kind of disqualifying sin, that needs to be made known. So for example, I think if there was a pastor on staff here at Grace or something, or an elder, and they were caught embezzling money, I think that there would be a scriptural obligation and even a moral obligation to tell that to the church tell that to everyone who is underneath the leadership and care of those people. But otherwise, broadcasting is totally unwarranted. Now, on the other side, though, the other side is, well, just ignore it. Just, let's just pretend Jesus never said that. Well, that would be okay. That would be fine if it was our church. If this was my church and we just got to decide what we wanted to do and got to decide which parts of what Jesus said that we want to focus on and which parts that we shouldn't focus on, that would be fine. But there's a big problem with that, right? And I, I hope you can see it. And the problem is this. Maybe you can help me out. If you go to Grace Church and you call the Medina East Campus your home, can you just help me for a second? Can you remind me, whose church is this? You tell me? Yeah, it's, it's Jesus's church. It's Jesus's church. That's what it is, right? The, the, and if you're, not, if you're a person that doesn't follow Christ and you're trying to investigate it, and even if you're a person that's newer to grace and you're trying to figure out what grace is all about, listen, here's what we believe with all of our heart. We believe that the church is Christ's church. Right? That this is a collection of people who to the very best of our ability, with as much humility as we know how, we are trying to follow Jesus's plan for our life. And so we're not, we're not a, people, a group of people that are gathered together to, to hear the opinion of a person or to try to you know, just decide what we think is the best way to live life. We actually believe that Jesus is the son of God and that his way of living is what leads to the life that he desires for us. And so together, we're a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus, not, not perfectly, right? But together, corporately, we're trying to follow him. And what that means is, I mean, think about it. It's his church, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his idea. The church is his idea, right? Whose, whose word is it that we come and look at every week? It's God's word. This is Jesus's. His ideas that we're trying to understand so that we can follow. And so we can't ignore it either. We can't ignore what he says. And Jesus would say that in conflict resolution, step seven is, if it gets here, you're gonna need to take it to the church, and so, okay, what does that mean then? So what, how do you do that? 
Well, let me just say, we would say here at Grace Church, we believe the best practice of this, given the generality of what Jesus says here when he says take it to the church, and given also the specific examples that we see in the New Testament. So, for example, in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we actually see very specific examples of this. We would say the best practice is to take it to the church means to take it to a leader within the church. Take it to a recognized representative leader within the church. You're like, who would that be? Well, that would be like a life group leader. A life group leader is a recognized representative leader within the church, right? They, they, can, they can come and bring the authority of the church with them. This would be like an elder. This would be like a pastor taking it to, so now we're taking it to the church. We're taking leadership that's connected and involved. So you're like, well, well then, then who am I going to? Like I said, you're talking about a life group leader. You're talking about an elder. You're talking about a pastor. In fact, if you're looking for a real specific answer, I would say, here's what you can do. You can take it right to Pastor Seth. Okay, so in fact, I'll give you his email address. It's right here, stonkar at graceohio.org. You can go ahead and, in fact, if you have any complaints at all about anything at the church, right here, he would gladly listen to you and buy you dinner. So you can go ahead and do that, and that'd be a good thing. No, but, but I, think, I think you guys understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying you, you want to get the church involved. You want to get the church involved. And we would say that, that means leadership as well. Now watch what Jesus says next. This is, if it's not already a little tough, watch what he says next here. This is strong. He says, and if they refuse to listen to even the church, if they refuse to listen to even the church, now let me just clarify something here I think is important to clarify. For those of us who follow Jesus, I think we gotta understand there is a big difference, a very big difference between struggling with sin and living in sin. It's a big difference between those two things, right? For those of us who follow Christ, I think we know this. Okay? And the truth is, we all struggle with sin. No one in this room is, not, is, is exempt from this. It's, we all struggle with sin. Every single one of us, we're trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability, but we stumble and we fall. In many ways, we struggle with sin. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need each other, right? It's so that we can help each other as we stumble along. And so if you're a person that stumbles in sin, that struggles with sin, man, that just welcome to the family. That's just who, that's part of who we are. Now, we're not okay with that, but it, it, we recognize we're not surprised by it. It's a reality we all face. Now, that is very different, though, than living in sin. What is living in sin? Here's living in sin. Living is, I refuse to listen. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what you say. I don't care what my leaders say. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm just telling you, for a follower of Jesus, that is a very dangerous place to be. There's a hardness of heart that has taken place there that is very, very, very dangerous. And so Jesus says, if, if it gets there, if it gets there, now we don't get here quickly, we don't get here easily, we get here tearfully, we get here prayerfully. It's a tough place to be. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if they refuse, you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Some of you are like, wow, that seems pretty harsh. I don't even really know what that means, but that seems pretty harsh. Treat them like a pagan and a tax collector? What does that even mean? All right, well, let me help you out a little bit. The, the word actually here, some of you have a different translation. It might say, treat them like you would a Gentile. Some of you might have translations that say that. The word Gentile, without getting into too much detail, is actually a better translation 
of the Greek word that's used there. So Gentile is actually a better translation. But you're like, well, what does that mean then? What does it mean to treat someone like a Gentile? Like, I don't even, I don't even know a Gentile. Well, yes, you do, because you are one, okay? Uh, all of us, well, at least most of us in this room, are Gentiles. A Gentile was a general term that was used back in Jesus' time to refer to a non-Jewish person. That's all it was, a non-Jewish person. Right, that was a Gentile. And the reason that that term has significance is because in this time, what it was referring to is a Gentile was someone who didn't know God. They were someone who did not know the God of Israel. They did not have a relationship with God. And so they were disconnected from God. Right? And a tax collector, well, that's pretty much the same thing today as it was back then. Right? And that whole idea right there, you see the same thing. And what's he saying? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if, if you go to this person and they're not listening to you and you take two or three and you all agree and you're like, man, you know what? We love you. We love you, but you're wrong about this and, and this is an issue of sin in your life and they're like, don't care what you have to say and then you bring church leadership along with you and, and, and then it's like, and, and all of them are like, yeah, man, this is, we love you. Just telling you, man, this is an issue. This is, a, this is an issue of sin. They're like, I'm not listening to you. And Jesus says, you need to treat them like you would a Gentile or a tax collector. And what does that mean? What does that mean? You're like, does that mean that when I see them in public that I shun them? Does that mean that like when I see them, I'm like, you know, holy water, werewolf, is that what I'm doing? No, let me, let me help you out, all right? How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Loved them, prayed for them, shared the gospel with them. Here's the key. He treated them evangelistically. That is, he treated them as if they were people who didn't know God, who needed to know God. And you see, that's what he's saying here. You see, you see the heart of that? Here, here's what Jesus is basically saying. I hope you catch this. Jesus is like, look, if, if, if you're a person who claims to follow Jesus, I follow Christ, I follow Christ, and here you have three or four brothers and sisters who love you and love Jesus and are committed to your good and all of them are looking at you and saying, we love you and we love Jesus, but man, this issue in your life, that's a sinful thing and, and man, we, you know, we wanna follow Christ together so, so let's, let, let's like work this thing out together. Like maybe we can, and they're like, no, I'm not gonna listen to you. Listen, Jesus would be like, I think in this passage, what he's basically saying is, listen, either you need to act like a Christian or you need to stop saying that you are one. Okay, because listen, if you say you follow Jesus, but you don't have any real interest in following Jesus, why would you say that you follow Jesus? It's, it's not helping anybody. It's not loving you. It's not loving, it's not, it's not helping you. I'm only, I'm, only, um, I'm only enabling this thing inside of you that I think is deeply damaging to you. And so he says in this passage, he says, we need to treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, sometimes, and we don't get here quickly, we don't get here easily. This is always last resort stuff. But he says, but listen, there is good reason sometimes to break fellowship with another person. And when you say, man, listen, we're, we're, trying, we're not running the same race. We are not running after the same Jesus. If, if, that, if this is, what, if this is where, what it's coming down to, we're not doing the same thing. And listen, I know... For some of us, when we hear that, you might be thinking, man, but that seems, that seems so unmerciful. Doesn't that seem a little bit, doesn't that seem like a little bit extreme and ungracious? And listen, let me just tell you, I think, I think a question that we have to wrestle with for those of us who follow Christ, because I think this is really clear what Jesus is saying here. The question that we have to wrestle with is, 
do we think that we are more merciful than Jesus? And I think, I think the answer to that is uh, no. Jesus, who shed his blood and who sacrificed himself for us to purchase us back, are we more merciful than he is? And so we have to understand Jesus' words here are not in spite of his grace and mercy. They're actually because of his grace and his mercy. And Jesus understands the human heart very, very well. I like the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. Bonhoeffer wrote a great book, by the way, called Life Together. It's a really phenomenal book. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Now, that's a strong statement. Nothing is so cruel as a tenderness that consigns another person to their sin. I just, I just love and accept you. I'm so just tent with tenderness. I just, however you decide that you want to live is completely fine with me. Even if what you're doing is destroying you and destroying other people, I just love you. He says, there is nothing so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to their sin. And he says, and there's nothing that can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Listen, if your child was in the middle of the road and there was a truck bearing down on them, it would be cruelty if you saw me standing next to them going, hey, uh, I just suggest maybe you stop doing that and you get out of the road. No, if I love you, sometimes love is gonna run and sometimes love is going to, to, to show itself in, in apparently severe ways. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. I want you to notice what Jesus says. In the next, two ver- the next three verses, what Jesus says, I think this is really interesting. Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's kind of a fascinating thing. Then he says this, verse 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, some of you might be thinking, <laughs> what does that have anything to do with what Jesus just said? Well, let me just say, because I think this is really, really important. Let me just say here that this verse, verse 20 specifically, is actually one of the most misapplied verses in the entire Bible by Christians. And I've heard, I've heard and maybe you've heard this too, I have heard Christians use this verse out of context so many times. And a lot of times Christians will use this verse as basically like a reasoning to say that, hey, if, if me and a couple of my buddies who are Christians get together and go to Starbucks and read our Bibles, that's the same thing as going to church, man, because we're two or three are gathered, there, you know, God's with us. And I've heard people use it that way a lot of times. You'll even hear Christians say that, hey, we're two or three are gathered, we're two or three are gathered, spirits with us, Right? And I'm like, <laughs> that's not the context. Right? What is the context? Here, here's the context. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? You hear what Jesus is saying? He just said, if someone has sinned against you, go to them. If they don't listen, take one or two. And if the two, if the two or three of you agree, yeah, man, that, 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 this is a sinful issue, and they're not listening, go ahead and take another from the church with you. And then he says, and if that group, if that group agrees and if that group is saying, yeah, you know, you're, you, this, is a, this is a big thing. You see what Jesus says? He says, where you agree about anything, where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I am there with them. I am standing with them. I am with, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, this is the process that I have put into place. 
And when you go through this process and that group comes to this person, he says, that is my divine provision for you, right? In other words, you see what he's saying here? This is so, this is so important. Jesus is saying that this, the church, is one of the most powerful provisions that God has given in conflict resolution. And God has given us a powerful support system and a powerful resource, resource in the church. And here's the big thing, that successively rejecting the overtures of a brother and then two or three and then eventually the church is tantamount to rejecting the provision that Jesus Christ has provided for you. Right? You, you see that? Where two or three are gathered, I'm right there with them. Whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so it might seem so strange to us and it might seem so foreign to us, I think, given our culture, but what Jesus would say is that one of the greatest graces that he has bestowed onto us and one of the greatest resources that he's given us in conflict resolution is he's given us the church. And so step seven, he would say is, man, we don't get here easily. We don't get here quickly. But sometimes we do get here and that's when you take it to the church. Take it to the church and watch God's power work through this process. I wish I could get into some details here, but for obvious reasons, I can't. But I can just tell you that as weird as this whole thing sounds, as foreign as it might seem to you, I have seen God use this process in powerful ways. I've seen him. Now, I can count. I don't even need a whole hand to count the times that I've seen it get to this place before. But in the times that it has, I have witnessed God use this in ways that are far beyond, I think, what, what, what I can fathom. And that's uh, an incredible thing. Now, I know this is a heavy conversation, but luckily, and, and, I'm, and excitedly, this isn't the last step. In fact, there is one more step in this whole pathway to conflict resolution, and we're gonna look at that next week. And I'm just gonna tell you, it ends on a high note. So it is awesome to watch how Jesus finishes this conversation next week. I think it ties it all together in a really powerful way. So you're gonna wanna come back to listen to step eight. We ask the band to come up, and as they do, why don't we bow our heads and and, uh, and close our eyes. Let's pray together in light of this conversation. But Jesus, I think, um, first off, I'm just so thankful for your word to us, God, and I'm thankful that, um, that God, that you have given us very clear instructions in how to pursue conflict resolution in a way that is glorifying to you and is healthy for us. And uh, God, I know that specifically today's conversation is probably one that for many of us is so outside of, I think, what we would maybe kind of come up with on our own. But Jesus, we, we're not trying to invent your church. We're trying to follow your design for it, God. So I pray, Jesus, that you would help us, God, to, um, to be blessed for having heard what we heard today. I pray that we'd live differently as a result of it, God, and help us, God, with just a spirit of humility to recognize that each one of us, God, each one of us struggles and we are all susceptible to the deceitfulness and the hardness that sin can bring. So God, thank you that you are a God who warranted an all-out war, waged an all-out war against our sin. I pray that you would help us to wage an all-out war against our own sin as well. We take it very serious, God. As we've been saying in this series, sin is much more serious than we realize. It's much more damaging than we recognize. And so, Father, we see that your heart is that you want to save us from that. And we see, God, that your heart is that you want to reconcile us to a right relationship with you. So, God, I pray that, again, you would help us to be blessed for having heard what we did and help us that as we go from this place, God, that we live differently as a result of these conversations. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.